Someone just told me in the back that that's a really hard act to follow. So uh, let's just pray and be done. Um, so no, 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 we can't, you don't do that. I know I set you up. Mark's not even here. I don't need no new Mark in here. Um, one's bad enough. Um, he's not here to defend himself. I'll have many more for the rest of the sermon. Um, so we're, if you're new with us here this morning, we're in a very long sermon series through the Gospel according to Luke. We think that by walking with Jesus, we will learn not only who Jesus is, but how to actually be like Jesus. And so that's really the goal is we're walking through Luke. And coming up here at the end of the summer, we'll stop our series in Luke and we'll pick back up in our, ser- our sermon series in the Psalms. Because over the next several years, we're going to preach through every psalm in the book of Psalms. And we're going to finish the whole Gospel of Luke. So uh, if you become a member at East 10th, um, you've got to lock in for like 10 years uh, to see how the story ends. Well, with that said, we're going to step into the next section of the Gospel according to Luke. And today we're going to find Jesus expanding his ministry well beyond himself as he begins to send the disciples out with more and more responsibility. And I think what we're going to find is, man, that right there is going to have a lot to say about how you and I live today, maybe even at the grocery store. So here we go. Luke chapter 9, we'll pick up with verse 1. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. When Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, And he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. Others, Elijah had appeared and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. There's a lot in this passage, but the key for this morning is to notice that as a whole, Jesus is expanding his ministry. And now he's sending his disciples out to do what he does. And that's really key here. The disciples don't go rogue doing their own thing. They go doing what Jesus does. And so what does he do? Jesus gives them power. Power here is the ability to do something. But he also gives them the right to do it. That's the authority. So he gives them power and authority to go out doing what he does. And what does he do? He, he, does, he, he goes about with miracles and a message. Miracles and a message. And the disciples will go about doing the very same thing. They will go into, uh, into the region and they will be performing miracles. They'll be uh, casting demons out of people and they will be healing the sick. And along the way they will carry a message proclaiming the kingdom of God. Now I think for us in our day the spectacle is what we want to pay attention to. Who wouldn't want to go see miracle after miracle after miracle? And we we might give our attention to that. But we can never forget that throughout the ministry of Jesus, 
throughout the ministry of the apostles coming in the book of Acts, the miracles are always there to confirm the message. The message is the heartbeat of what goes into the world, and the miracles come alongside to confirm that message. And we have to remember that when Jesus starts his public ministry, the message is the thing that sits at the center, and then the healings come around to confirm. Even in Luke 5, we don't have this on a screen, but if you'll remember, a paralyzed man comes to Jesus. And Jesus says, the first thing to him, the first thing Jesus says to him is, your sins are forgiven. He proclaims a message over this man. And then he says, but so that you know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, I'm going to tell him, get up and walk. And then what does he do? He gets up and he walks. The miracle confirms the message. That message is at the center of what Jesus is doing in his public ministry, going about proclaiming the kingdom of God. So that when Jesus actually goes out into his public ministry, one of the first things Luke highlights about what Jesus goes about doing is that he goes about preaching a particular message. Luke chapter 4, verse 42 through 44, here's how Luke frames it as we step into the rest of his gospel account. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because this is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Jesus comes preaching a message. And so when he expands his ministry through his agents, through the twelve, he has them preaching the message, the proclamation of the kingdom of God. And what would that have been? What would this proclamation have declared into the regions around Galilee? It would be that the promised king, the king that God's people had been looking for for years, the one that would come to judge with with mercy and truth, that king who would bring his reign over the nations, that king has come into the world through Jesus. That he himself is the promised king. All the promises of the Old Testament now are in him, and he is launching his kingdom. Right now, it is in front of them. Now, that would have been no small message, right? That would have been no small announcement in the Roman world. Because in the Roman world, there was a king. And he had the title Caesar. And here on the outskirts of the Roman territories is some Jewish man going about the regions of Galilee proclaiming another kingdom has arrived. There is another king. Some translators think that the word kingdom here could actually be translated empire. Can you imagine what that would have sounded like in the Roman world? As this group of twelve, representing this one man, go into the regions around Galilee declaring another empire has arrived. A new Caesar is on the scene. Caesar doesn't suffer competition. Now we don't know how long the disciples went about on their short, uh, this short-term mission trip. But what we do know is that they have caught the attention of Herod the Tetrarch. This is the son of great King Herod. And as they go about preaching this message of the kingdom of God, they're learning something about the kingdom that everyone that lives in the kingdom has got to learn. That if you live in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Son, you have to learn to trust God the Father 
like God the Son. And the only way you can learn how to do something is you've got to have the right training. And it's one thing to say God will provide. It's another thing to go into the region with nothing and have to actually experience God providing for you. And so Jesus is training the twelve to learn to live in his empire. An empire where you depend wholly on God. God the Father, just as he has learned to trust God the Father. And so he tells them, you go into the world with nothing. And you will learn that God will give you everything you need. And it will come in this way through the hospitality of God's people. But even as they go into the region, learning to take nothing and then yet have everything they need, this message is going out and out. It expands and it gets into the ear of Herod the Tetrarch. As he hears, there's a group of people going about the region declaring another empire has arrived. And he is quite perplexed. You see, the thing about declaring an empire is usually when people declared another reign was coming, another empire, another kingdom was coming into the world, you usually bring troops. You bring troops for the coup, and you take out the current administration, and you bring in the next. But the thing about the twelve is they took nothing. What kind of empire is this? I'm sure Herod was very complex. We know it because Luke has it records here. Of all the things he could record, he records that Herod is here, probably in his palace, wondering, who is this Jesus? Who is this guy who declares another kingdom and yet has no military force and no government structure around him? What Herod didn't know is what Jesus did know. And that is that his power was not in his military might, but in his sacrificial death. He will demonstrate his power in his love, what he will give up for others, not in who he destroys with his military. This is, comes to, reminds me of something that Jesus will say, recorded at least in another gospel. Mark chapter 10, verse 43 and 45, where Jesus says this, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus will bring in, usher in the immense power of this new empire, not with bazookas, but through a cross. And through the cross, he will bring immense power into the world. That's where his kingdom will be established. And herein lies a very key principle to the kingdom of God. It's the reality everyone who follows God will come to realize. Just as the disciples came to realize as they moved about the region preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. That principle is this right here. God through Jesus will take what the world considers little and he will make it enormous. Can I just pause? I just was really excited that I lowered the font on little and made enormous really big. Okay, come on back with me. I was just so excited when I came up with it. I thought they're going to love it. They're going to love it. Okay. Robert, did you see? Love it. Okay. All right. He's about to start clapping. Don't, don't, it's not that. Okay. So, here we go. So, so, so that right there. 
that that God will take little. Now we know that ultimately that will ultimately that, that will find its reality at the cross. It doesn't get any more little, any more debased than the Son of God on a cross. You would think that's defeat. Yet we know the way the story ends. That's actually where there's victory. Right there. Jesus will take what is little, make it enormous. The disciples, they just figured that out. They took nothing and yet they were provided for. And that same theme is going to run through the next section of our passage. plays a really big part of the next story. Here it is. We'll pick up verse 10. Verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. And then he took them with him. And they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and they followed him. He welcomed them and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And he healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to the disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. And he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate, and they were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. There's so much to learn, like so much that we could say about that part of this passage. But it can't be lost on us that this story comes right up against the disciples going into the region declaring the kingdom of God. This story has everything to do with Jesus as King. You see, in the Old Testament, there's a a particular psalm. There are many, but there's one in particular, Psalm 72, that looks forward to the day that God's ultimate King, His anointed one, the Christ, would come into the world and bring his reign, his empire to, to, to into the world. And that psalm, Psalm 72, gives, gives a description of all the dimensions, all these different varying pieces of this new empire that will come through his promised king. One of those comes in verse 16. One, one piece of that kingdom That vision of what will be comes in verse 16 and the first part of verse 17. Take a look. Here it is. Psalm 72, verse 16 through 17. May there be abundant grain throughout the land, flourishing even on the hilltops. May the fruit trees flourish like the trees of Lebanon. And may the people thrive like grass in a field. May the king's name endure forever. On that day as he took five loaves of bread, and two fish, and he fed thousands of people. It was the fulfillment. He was beginning to fulfill this promise that when the king comes, there'll be abundant grain, and it will satisfy everyone. On that day when he multiplied those five loaves, that minimal amount of grain, and he fed all those people, the people knew the king has come. What was he teaching them in that very moment? Luke tells us. He was teaching them about the kingdom of God. Here is their king. A new empire has arrived. 
Now, for the disciples, I'm sure they were a bit confused about all this. Now, they had just learned that God will take care of them individually, right? Like, if we go out into the region taking nothing, just as Jesus commanded, we will be provided for. But they had no idea of the scale to which God can take nothing. And five loaves of bread and two fish for 5,000 men, we would consider that nothing. They, the disciples had no idea the extent to which God would take nothing and make it abundant. Turn it into everything you would need. And then some. What Jesus is going to do later in this chapter, in chapter 9, as Luke records it, is he's going to take that principle, that truth, that God will take your nothing and turning it into everything, that's going to be the call of every disciple of Jesus. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to walk in his kingdom, then you have to give up everything so that you can gain it all. He'll teach him this later in chapter 9. Here it is, Luke 9. Just a few verses later, he will, this is what Luke records, verse 23, 24. Then he said to them all, whoever wants my, to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, well, they're going to lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. If you hold on to your five loaves and your two fish, well, that's what you'll get. And eventually you'll go hungry. But if you put five loaves and two fish in the hands of Jesus, you'll have everything you need forever and ever and ever. Because that's the way the kingdom of God works. If you hold it on for yourself, if you grab selfishly, God will allow you to have it. But that's all you'll get. But if you will come with an open hand and deny yourself, you'll get your whole self back. That's the kingdom of God. And the disciples learned that as they went into the region with nothing. God gave them everything they needed. And now, with thousands of people in front of them, they learned this reality at a scale they never imagined. Five loaves of bread and two fish just fed everybody with a lot of leftovers. So I think it's at that point that there's application for us. Like, I think that's where I want to press and so come with me with some questions. Like, so I'm just thinking, like, as I, as, I, as I think about the reality of the kingdom of God and how that might just work in my own life, I'm just thinking, there's some questions that I start asking myself. Hopefully we can get it all the way down on the ground in our next step. But let's start with a question. Here we go. Here's the first question coming to my mind, and i got just multiple versions of this same question. What parts of my life am I still holding on to rather than surrendering them to King Jesus? Now, that's a bit of a spiritual question, almost a bit churchy. But if you get it on the ground, I think, like, yeah, I'm trying to hold on to a lot of things. So, like, I'm not always right. Like, I'm, I'm at least wrong once every week. I know it. I know it. But you, how often do you think I want to admit wrong? Never. I never want to admit wrong. I'm going to hold on, self, on to self-righteousness as long as I can. Until, like, it gets really unbearable at home, and then i got to, like, admit wrong. Like, that's, but it, at some point, i got to let that go. I'm just saying, I want to hold on to always being right. Sometimes, if someone's been generous to me, I don't want to always pass that on. I want to hold on to that, their generosity, so I can keep it for myself. 
I don't always want Jesus to have oversight of what I watch or listen to. I'd rather, like, he gets to be king here, like, in these arenas, but then I can be my little king over here in this arena, right? Like, I can hold bitterness here, and then I'll just forgive everywhere else. Like, no, like, Jesus is king every, in every area of my life. That's the call. You don't crucify just an arm on a cross. You crucify the whole person. And that's the thing Jesus is calling us to. Let me say it a different way. So I'm going to try to hit us in different direct, from different directions. Here's another way to ask the same question using the story of the feeding the 5,000. Here it is. Another way to ask it is this. What bread and fish in my life am I still not willing to hand over to Jesus? Is it life decisions? Is it my career? Is it a relationship? I mean, I don't know. I just know at some point all of us are trying to hold on to our our bread and our fish, not trusting that if we give it to God, he can take care of it. Because at some level, deep down, even unconsciously, we think we know best. I think the story challenges us here. Okay, one more. Let me just try it one more, one more time, one more direction. Here it is. Do I think that I can live like I want and still follow Jesus? As if he's just a fire insurance policy to keep me out of hell. I think for some people, Jesus is simply fire insurance. Like, I need Jesus so I don't go to hell. But the kingdom of God isn't fire insurance. The kingdom of God is an empire that you swear allegiance to. He is sovereign. He is in control. It is his will that is to be done. Not mine. I'm to take my will into his. He gets the glory, not me. It's why we are most happy when he gets the glory, not us. So this is like the heartbeat of all that. Now, you know, I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis had a lot to say about this. Another lengthy quote coming to you, but it's really good. Here we go. C.S. Lewis had this to say about this, this whole topic right here. In Mere Christianity, he writes this. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I've not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half, no half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent, as well as the ones you think wicked. The whole outfit. I will. That's all right. I will. Sometimes the slides glitch. I'm sorry. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. The terrible thing, the most impossible thing, is to hand over your whole self. All your wishes and and precautions to Christ. It is far easier easier than what we're all trying to do instead. I'm going to read that again because this is where he makes the turn. He gets under your skin. It's far easier to give everything to Christ than what we're all trying to do instead. For what we're trying to do is to remain what we call ourselves, to keep our personal happiness as our great aim in life, and yet at the same time to be good. We are all trying to let our mind and heart go their own way, centered on money or pleasure or ambition, and hoping, in spite of this, 
to behave honestly and chastely and humbly. And that is exactly what Christ warns us you could not do. You can't be all about you and be good. Can't. Not going to work. You have to be all about Christ, giving all of ourselves to Christ. There is not another option on this. This is one of the problems with what we see in LGBTQ today. I don't, I'm not going to. I'm not going to press on the moral piece here. Like I'm saying, like what you actually are doing with your body. The fundamental problem is that we think what we feel is who we are, and we get to be who we are to be our true, authentic self. Jesus doesn't give that option. Jesus says, you are to be with me. I will define you and make you who you are. I don't get to stand back and say, what I feel is who I am and I get to do who I am. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, if you are to be in my kingdom, you are to do what I say, you are to be with me. You give up yourself, which by the way, that includes your ambitions, your physical desires, And anything you might be feeling, they come into the kingdom. He gets to shape them. Does that mean people don't struggle with their sexuality? Not at all. There's a lot of struggle. I struggle. I'm sure you struggle. There are all kinds of struggles that we face in our bodies. My point is, you and I don't get to hold on to who we are and then tell Jesus he has to match it. We say, Jesus, who do you say I am? And I will fall in line. That's the way the kingdom of God works. And you could take that very principle and work it out with baseball players. You can work it out with race. You can work it out with class. You can work it out with an economic system. It doesn't matter. All of it comes under the domain of Jesus. And we do not get to define what reality is. He defines it and we match up. Because he's the emperor. And the emperor says what goes. He happens to be a good emperor. So I'm just trying to think. How in the world does this get on the ground for us? Like, I know this is a bit big, right? Like, if we're talking about giving up things, where do you start with that? So I'm trying to think in a next step, like, how do you get this on the ground? This thing we do every week. I came up with this. Here's what I came up with. I thought this would be a way to train, to, like, learn to give up stuff. Sacrifice something for someone else. I mean, big or small, right? Like, I'm going to give up, like, I'm going to give up going to the movies and I'm going to give my money to help someone in need. I don't know, something small. Like, I don't know, just come up with something. Just, how can you sacrifice for someone else? Like, what can George give up to bless Jenny? That's your job, like, today. Okay, okay, (laughs) okay. I don't even know what he said, but it must have been good. Okay, so so what can you give up to bless someone else? And I figured, like, as a next step, that's something all of you can do individually. Like, okay, I can give this up, like, and that's a way of training ourselves to sacrifice. So you don't got to go run a marathon, just, like, take a step. Give up something small so that you can bless someone else, and, and eventually that habit will work out in bigger areas of your life. And eventually it'll take over other areas of your life, and you'll step back a year from now and go, whoa, look how different I am. Look at what God's sovereignty by His Spirit has done in my life. Isn't that amazing? Then I thought, I really need to get a little more practical. 
And so I just kind of kept coming around this one example. So, like, this is your next step. But I'm going to, like, add a footnote. Don't put it up yet. Get the runway. Set the, set the stage. And I thought, well, you know, one area of my life that I could, like, I could sacrifice is not getting on someone's bumper on Old, Ta- on far- Old Farm Road when they're going so slow. Like 20, 20, too slow, too slow. And I think that I can, like, push this <laughs> if I get close enough. And then I think, but I'm the preacher. What if it's someone I know? And they look back and they say, they come to me on Sunday and say, you know you were riding my tail this, you know, this Wednesday. And I'm okay, well. So I'm like, but I can give that up. But I thought, maybe I just keep using Old Farm Road too much, so I won't use it in this sermon. And then I thought, you know the other area of my life? I get real antsy. You do too. I know you do. You're there a food lion. And there's like two, two cashiers. And we're all coming, we're all coming right at that same moment. And man, I'm eyeing every line. I'm looking at the number of groceries. I'm getting a sense of how fast we're scanning. I mean, I, I mean I'm doing like a, a, a two-second analysis of the scene. And I make a decision, and I think I have nailed the fastest line. And if I come to find out it's not, don't think I won't change allegiances. I will move. If another, if another lane opens up, you know what we're all thinking. Are you going to go? Are you going to go? I don't do that. I go. So here's what I thought. Really, I mean, this is like, I'm thinking, how do I get this deep truth of the kingdom down into where my, like, my feet move, like where I live? And it was this. This was a tough one. Let someone get in line in front of you, even at the grocery store. Seriously. This is one small step to carrying your cross. And I mean it. Like, it's humorous because it's so real for us. And you never think about that moment as where you're learning discipleship, to learn to follow Jesus. But it's all of those moments where we're learning to follow Jesus. So this week at Food Lion, Walmart's like a whole other thing. So I just go, Food Lion. When you're a Food Lion... Maybe you tell the person you just cut off, you can get in front of me. And if you're a true saint, they'll have a bag, uh, like a, a buggy full of groceries. Like that's super discipleship. Like you have one thing, they have a buggy, but you tell them, I went to church this week. You can go in front of me. <laughs> then they'll ask what church, they'll say he's tempted. It'll be a church growth strategy, y'all. Like this will be great. Seriously. Find ways to sacrifice so that you can bless others. I just know the grocery store is one place I can start. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and how it just it pushes on us. And in the end, we give you the glory for the kingdom of Christ. And in that kingdom, there is forgiveness where you have given us the righteousness of Christ despite all of our sin. And so we are so thankful for the love you show us. Help to transform us to be citizens of this kingdom, this new empire, as it spreads into the world day by day, right where we live. And we pray that in that power over us and through us, in the name of him who is our King, Jesus. Together we say, Amen.